Please stand for the reading of God's word from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Thank you. Appreciate it. Good morning, church. Good morning. Good to see you all. I believe uh, our associate pastor, Daniel, has been here uh, once or twice before to preach, but this is actually my first time preaching here. I've been here before, um, but... um, Good to see you all. We've been praying for you uh, as a church, too, as we've been trying to get into the rhythm of praying for and uh, thinking about other local churches, uh, as we are all in the same team uh, as the body of Christ in Boston. Uh, so for the third Thursday of the month with staff, we've been praying for other churches, and we've been naming you as well. So it's my privilege and joy to be here with you all this morning. We're here in Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Because you and I, as followers of Jesus, can always be reminded of what it is that we ought to be for. What God commissions us to take part in for His design of His glory and for our own good. If you're a skeptic, or if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, we're so glad that you are here. As Laura mentioned too, I'm sure there will be other venues to be able to ask your questions and to meet people here. This also is for you to know what it is that what God may be tugging on your heart to live for, as that is an innate human desire, to know what it is that I am supposed to be synced up to. What am I supposed to be for? Purpose, mission. You know, as a guest preacher, um, one disadvantage is that I don't know what's going on in your life. So I don't know if any of what I will say will land on your heart or whatever the case might be. At the same time, the advantage that I have for you here, and I have no other choice but to do this, is to remind all of you and myself to timeless truth, no matter the people, context, time, that we get to sync up to. I have no other choice but to do that. I don't know you all. But what is it that he is calling us to be included into? How can I remind you this morning? How can I remind myself this morning of what it is that we ought to be for? What steps do we need to take as the body of Christ, the people of God? So three things as we park our cars in this famous passage, often considered the Great Commission, Matthew 28. One, what is the mission? What is it that we ought to be for as laid out here in Scripture, 
Two, what's involved in this mission? And lastly, what do we have to remember, remind ourselves about this mission? So first, what is the mission? What is it that we ought to be for? Let's jump down to verse 19 for now. We'll come back to verse 16 as we start it. But verse 19, this is the famous passage. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is how Matthew chooses to close out his book about Jesus' ministry. And it makes sense, right? Jesus' last words to pass the torch, to commission the people that he's invested in and brought in to his fold to be his disciples, and now to then empower them, I brought you in, now go to be the agents of spiritual renewal wherever they go, and they did. They obeyed. The book of Acts, the birth of the early church. One clarification here, this passage is often mentioned in the context of global missions, right? Which is a good thing too. Like, go! Like, get out of here! Go, like, go there! Right? Again, we'll come back to that important word because it is there. Go! But grammatically speaking, if I can take us there for a moment here, the main verb here the thing that is actually carrying the weight of this commission here is make disciples. As that is the imperative commanding verb here in Greek. And then there are three participles that come off of that main verb, make disciples. Going, baptizing, teaching. These are modifying the main action, the main commission, the main thing, the purpose, the for. Make disciples. Make disciples going, baptizing, teaching. So the question, what is the mission? What is the for? Make disciples. And think about this, friends. You and I are here today. We are gathered here as the people of God today because of this. Because of disciples making disciples, making disciples, making disciples. This is our family business that's been around for 2,000 plus years. Making disciples since day one, right? The mission is very simple, not simplistic, but it is simple here. As cheesy as this may sound, For Jesus' followers, you are a missionary wherever you are. You ought to carry, deliver, and live out the good news of Jesus wherever you go to get into the business of disciples making disciples making disciples making disciples, and so on. And if you're thinking, well, I'm not actually one of the 11 here actually directly receiving this message, well, Notice Jesus doesn't say at the end of this, Behold, I will be with you until you 11 people die out. I will be with you 
to the end of the age. He's speaking to us. Through the 11. Our church actually went through a huge leadership transition um, in the, oh man, my COVID year is all blurry now, right? Um, for the last two, three years. And it was painful. And here we are. And as we are uh, living out in health and really uh, trying to figure out what it means to then be a healthy church, a thriving church, connected to Jesus, the church, as we just actually walk through our vision statement for our sermon series and entering into a new sermon series on prayer, as I talk to other pastors around, everyone's trying to figure out what, what are we supposed to do? Everyone's in the book of Acts 4 somehow for sermon series because we're all trying to get to the basics. And it's not even just the, the, oh, we went through this kind of a church. But in COVID, it seems as though every church, every body of Christ in some ways had to have a hard reset to know, what are we, what are we doing? What are we for? And perhaps that kind of question could trigger different churches to then enter into a moment of clarifying the vision statement, a mission statement, the values. And great, and we did that too. At the end of the day, though, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. Our business model, make disciples. That's been the case, making disciples, making disciples, making disciples. I want to remind you of that, church. The ingredients are here. The people of God extending the call of Jesus from day one, yes, extending today, not because of our strength, but because we get to enter into the question of what it is that we ought to be for by His grace, through this commission that still lasts today. That is the mission. Make disciples. Then secondly, what's involved in this mission? Make disciples, and as we saw, the three participles that hang off of these, this very imperative verb, going, baptizing, and teaching. Now let's go back to that word go then, not to downplay uh, the importance of global missions, right? But what does it mean to go in this sense as it modifies the very action to make disciples then? At City Life, we, um, uh, we have a Chinese congregation, Chinese-speaking um, congregation that's launched uh, and uh, we're hoping that it would be, then be able to plant at some point too. And one of the things that I learned a lot about, uh, about what they are doing, and as I get to participate and watch and see what God does there, Pastor Tony, um, one of the initiatives that they are involved in is to hold what's called City Light on a Friday evening, uh, meeting at a church across from Berkeley School of Music. And... Uh, I mean, it's simple. Uh, they gather together for free food, uh, worship, Bible study, hang out, and they get to leave. And that place is packed every single Friday. 
And what, he, what, what Tony told me then is, is mind-blowing to me. It's because they can. Think about that, friends. They consider it a mission. Because there is no government restriction to consider. Because they can. They gather together. Recognize what God is telling them. Pay attention to what God is doing in their lives. What it means to then actually make disciples. Now, that means we could be occupying the same place. We could be in the same city. And our sentiment and our mentality, our approach to go could be very different based on who we are, what questions we are asking, and what people we are then sensing the call to. We could be occupying the same exact space, live in the same neighborhood, and yet because our eyes are different or because we choose to see something different, we choose to go to something different, people differently, our understanding of go and therefore make disciples hits entirely differently. That at least means for us this morning is this. Do we as followers of Jesus in this city, in our neighborhood, live with a sense of urgency to go? Does your heart ache? And do you pray for the people around you who don't know Jesus? Is it in our mind at all? the criteria at all for bearing witness and making disciples to determine where you will apply for work, where you will choose to live, what neighbor to enter into. That's a different way of considering go, even for all of us here in this room. What else is involved in this mission? Baptizing and teaching. No, that doesn't mean that everyone needs to be in pastoral ministry. What Jesus is getting after is this. Go, teach, baptize. Jesus is saying, I am the one who brings people to my fold. Do what I did. Tell them about me. Bring them to my fold. Do it in my name, my authority, says Jesus. Teach them about me. Point them to me. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. I will do it. Now you go do what I did in my name. Because this isn't about getting people a free ticket to heaven to say the right kind of prayer. To have one time, moment, or experience to come back to each and every single time, but an ongoing, lifelong following, learning, being taught, living out the journey of being a disciple, a follower of Jesus. That's one thing that we emphasize a lot in baptism, right? There's a reason why when we baptize, folks who come to Jesus, there's a reason why we're not going to their uh, home and their bathroom and baptizing them there. Why is that? Because in baptizing and teaching, the heart of it is that you get to be part of His people, 
to say yes to Jesus and the design for our flourishing to say yes to His body, to a public profession of your faith. Yes to Jesus. And a lifelong following of Him in community is captured in the heart of baptism too. Make disciples the mission by going with a sense of urgency, even if we were to occupy this space, to have a different set of eyes, to see the need differently, with the heart to then actually teach and baptize, to be part of the work in bringing people to His name, His power, for a lifelong journey of becoming a disciple. Now, for various reasons, okay, this may not be on top of our minds. Preacher, as you say this, like, okay, that sounds great, but that's not me. I'm still missing that link here. For various reasons, we deflect this call. Matthew 28 call. You know, say what you will about Jonah, right, in the Old Testament. Uh, I have a soft spot for him. I don't know about you. Because I think he's at least being honest with himself. He's being dishonest to God, right? Which is, I'll go, never mind. But at least he's being honest to himself, which is, I don't want to go. Nineveh, no, 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 not Nineveh. He's deflecting, but what's the reason? He doesn't want to go. If we're honest, perhaps that's where we are too. I don't want to do this. <laughs> Pastor Matthew 28 is not for me, and, but when you cut down to it, perhaps it's simply as, I don't want to. Is that where you are? We, re- we deflect for various reasons. Perhaps if we're truly honest, we just don't have the heart for it too. Or, Oh, you know, this is for the gifted people. This is for the paid professionals. This is for the professional Christians. In an age where we like to compartmentalize a lot of things, specialize in many things too, and the more specialized, compartmentalized it is, the better it is, the higher quality it is. It's much easier for you all to also then get into the mindset of, I will bring them here. Now, pastor, do your thing. I will drag my children here. Staff member, do your thing. Bring them to faith. Think about this, friends. There are 11 people here, as the text tells us, right? 11 Now, we know why there's 11, not 12, right, Judas? There's 11 here. How likely is it that all 11 of them hearing this were equally gifted or qualified goers, baptizers, and teachers? Not likely. You know, how come Jesus didn't hold an audition to pick out the top two and say, you are the goer, you are the baptizer, you are the teacher, and everybody else just support these two very gifted people. It's probably because all of them received this word. 
It's not reserved for those people, the global missionaries, your favorite preacher. It's on all followers of Jesus. Your work is not to simply donate and cheer from the side. Just as hospitality, for example, is a gift for some, but all who belong to Jesus are called to be hospitable, to reflect the hospitality of Christ. Yes, there are those who are gifted indeed, yet set apart for people in going and baptizing and teaching. Yes, nonetheless, the work of extending the good news is for all who say yes to Jesus, wherever we are. Perhaps we deflect, I don't even want to do this, or that's for the paid professionals. Or perhaps we might think, you know, this doesn't work anymore, Matthew 28. We're living in a different world. We're in the 21st century. We're in this post-Christian world out in the West. Is this the right strategy? Especially when there's so much church pain, so many stories of Christians getting in the way of Christ, hypocrisy being one of the biggest criticisms of our faith, and rightly so. At the same time, the reality of Romans 10 still stands till this day. 10.14, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed, and how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? That's still the case. There are strategies to then engage in this current post-Christian world to let our message be Receiver-oriented and not sender-oriented, we need to be considering the power dynamics. We need to be considering the element of when helping hurts. Yes, all that is true at the same time. How will they hear? How will they believe unless we don't go? And we're often discouraged and doubtful too because of our sin. Our brokenness, sins done unto us, sins that we commit, commission, omission. How will God work through me? I'm a mess myself. Not even about the gifting or any of My life is a mess. How will God use me? There's no way that Matthew 28 is for me. Do you get the picture? For various reasons. And we can go on and on about why it is that we have a distance to Matthew 28 call. Perhaps this needs to be updated. I simply don't want to. I'm not the person. I'm not gifted enough. My life is a mess. Then where's the hope? How will this get done? In the midst of our legitimate or illegitimate fears, concerns, I can't get there. We can't get there. What relevance does, does this have for us today in this church, in our people? Where can we turn to? In other words, how will this mission be accomplished and still go on till this day? What do we have to remember? And remember this, friends. Today, this is what I have the privilege to remind you all. 
this morning. Verse 16, let's go there. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus has directed them. Now, pause there. Jesus resurrected. This is at the end of Matthew's gospel. The eleven going to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Verse 17, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We probably don't think about this much whenever we come across the number 11. Verse 16 tells us, now the 11 disciples, now again, we can figure out why there's 11, right? Minus Judas. The scholar and commentator Willie Jennings highlights how it only takes common sense to perhaps see that these 11 people are not doing well. Do we think about that? Oh, it's 11 because, oh, it's 12 minus 1. Okay, I get it. But what's happening in the mind and the emotional health of these 11? Not good. It only takes common sense to read the humanity in this reality of the 11. They just went through a betrayal by their close friend who ended up ending his own life. That can't not do anything to them. To a certain degree, they feel betrayed by Jesus himself. You're supposed to be the Messiah and you're gone. They're aimless. They're defeated. They're deflated. What did I waste my life for? Where am I going to go now? And there's some even debate in scholarship, as commentators note, if some who doubted in verse 17, you see that, right? When they saw him, resurrected Jesus, worshipped him, but some doubted. Who are these some people? Is it within the eleven? Is it within the onlookers who are watching and seeing what's happening? Is it some of them? Some of them. We don't know. It wouldn't surprise me one bit, though, if all of them doubted. Some from here, some from here. Seeing this resurrected Jesus in their state of mind. And it is to this bunch then, to this 11, that Jesus is entrusting, empowering, and passing the torch to. And we have to remember this. This is the reminder. What do we have to remember about this mission? It is that it is given to the 11. It reminds me of the, of the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians, 7, of 1 Corinthians 1, 27-29. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. We have to remember this, friends. The kingdom building, this family business that's been around for forever, 
of our Father in heaven has been always about working with the broken and the weak, the eleven. Abraham, too old. Jacob, the trickster. Moses, not a vocal leader. Ruth, an outsider. Gideon, fearful warrior. David, just a shepherd boy. Jonah, who ran to a different city. I don't want to do this. Peter, who betrayed Jesus three times. Paul, persecutor of Christians. Timothy, young and inexperienced leader. And the examples go on and on and on about this family business of making disciple has always been through the model of the eleven, the weak, the broken. And this is most prominently demonstrated in Jesus himself who took on flesh, declared his power and glory through the cross. The Great Commission is not accomplished through a new, innovative program, but through an executed king. Jesus himself is demonstrating this gospel truth, that the good news is that when we attach ourselves to this Jesus, when we place our trust in this Jesus, when we place our entire lives in this Jesus, then we find life in full, we find strength. And that's how the mission continues. The good news is not when you're weak, just tell yourself that you are strong. When you are weak, psych yourself, convince yourself that you are actually strong. The good news is that recognize, name the elevenness in you. Name it. Recognize it. Tell one another, I am weak. I'm in need of a Savior. And in that place, He is strong. He will be your strength. That's the good news. The gospel is not for you to somehow psych yourself, convince yourself what is not true. It's to say you are weak, but God will be your strength. And it is through that reality, the good news, that the mission will continue. Remember your weakness. And in that place, you get to remember his withness to you. Let's be reminded of this as we look at the last verse here, verse uh, 20. Let's go back there. Let's read the Great Commission one more time here, verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And listen to this, friends. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Behold is a worship language. I almost want to kind of read through this. Hopefully I'm not being too creative here. But a fatherly heart to then say this. Behold, I am with you always. Because that the worship language is to look up. As we are here too, the first song that we sing, the call to worship is to say, wherever you are, whoever you are, however your week was or will be, you get to come here and look up. Worship. That He is the Lord. Behold is that. 
to a fatherly heart to the, the, the traumatized 11 is, behold. And I wonder if it's like this. Hey, 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 hey look up. I am with you. Behold, I know where you are. I know you were just betrayed by your best friend. And you're confused. And you're wondering what is next. Did I just waste my life? What is this whole thing that I sold my life for? I know. And the tendency is always there for you to put your head down to say, I am not worthy of this. This is done. This is not working. And I wonder the fatherly heart in saying this as he ends this, as Matthew highlights this, is look up with me. Look at me, Jesus, right? Not, I'm not saying I'm Jesus, right? Jesus saying, look up, I am with you till the end of the age. Isn't that beautiful? Wherever you are, your individual life, your church life, your community life, your family life, the 11 will understand how, just how low you are, just how dark you are. And yet the call is here. Behold, you get to look up and to be reminded, I am with you always to the end of the age. I'll end with this here. Mark Sayers, uh, a pastor and a thinker in Australia, once said this, what if in the midst of that crisis, there's an incredible opportunity. What if God is building a whole new cohort of leaders and taking them deeper because crisis precedes renewal and multiplying crises offer the chance of an accelerated renewal and deepening spiritual growth. Again, as a guest preacher, I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what God is doing in your own individual life. Perhaps there are highs and lows that I can't even fathom. I know that's the case at our church as well, as many are having marital issues, many are having children issues, physical issues, spiritual issues. And in this life, tribulation is there. In this life, we will want to distance ourselves from the truth of Scripture and what it tells us about that we ought to be for. And yet, friends, what I get to remind you this morning, as Mark Sayers here too, what if there is a building and growing happening for a renewal in your life, in this church, because crisis precedes renewal? I need that reminder in my own life. I want to invite you to also then remind me this morning that we get to look up. We get to behold. Remind ourselves with the words of Jesus, and we get to say that to one another. We belong to Jesus who says, I am with you to the end of the age. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the reminder, even for me this morning, and for all of us, of timeless truth, 
the words that you leave the 11 with as they go on the journey of the book of Acts, clearly not by, own, not by their own strength, but in their full reliance in the state of their weakness. Lord, thank you for this ongoing reminder that we get to belong to you this way. That your word does not run dry. That you will continue to call us to yourself and to use us somehow continuously for your glory and for our good. Lord, may the reality, the promise of Matthew 28 come alive in our hearts. Awaken us to your Son that we may say yes boldly in the midst of all kinds of trials, tribulations, or even our own sin. That you will be glorified, magnified somehow through our weakness as we come honestly before you. Thank you for being our God who continues to call us and will continue to call others through the 11 like us. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.